The journey toward our higher selves continues with conversations in the indigo tent. Join us on the adventure. Shazam. <laughs> hey, Gomer. <laughs> Golly. That was one of my, I like that show. I love Gomer. <laughs> okay. Who's saying hello first? I'll do it. Hi, Wendy. Welcome to the tent. Hi, Zella. Welcome back to the tent. And today we have Dr. Elaine Ferguson joining us again for a topic that we feel is very relevant and needs to be openly and honestly and lovingly discussed. Yes. So if you weren't here, if you didn't hear our last episode, we, we talked with Dr. Elaine about um, super healing her her book and her concept about how we can work with the divine I guess uh, or get in touch with our higher selves in the process of healing and so we'd like to continue that conversation with with healing racism so welcome back Dr. Elaine hi Wendy and Zola thank you for having me it's so much fun sharing time with you you two are absolutely delightful and I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing it's very important so thank you well thank you um we've had some conversations uh, over the well off and on for years but more importantly this year on just um this concept of racism and and it gets a lot of different terms this year, you know, like systemic racism or this and that racism. And, and so I thought it would be, it's just, uh, it's become a very much part of your mission, Dr. Elaine, to, to have us look at that from, from the perspective of healing. So you had um, shared a story. Would you share that with the, our audience? Absolutely. And uh, as I said, thank you. Uh, thank you again for, for this opportunity. It's, it's really quite a pleasure and an honor to share this very difficult topic, but I think it's one that is critical to our human experience that we discuss it and to our human evolution. That is a better way to put it. But I'm an African American for those of you who can't see me, <laughs> but uh, and and so I, you know, I'm, I'm a baby boomer and I grew up uh, in in the North and uh, I grew up during the Civil Rights Movement and my parents were from the South, they're from South Carolina, and they were very precious human beings, and I say that and I'm prejudiced of course because I was this, I'm their daughter, but my parents very early on taught me. Number one, they were all God's children. And they emphasize this. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm a kid, like, why, why are you telling me this? But I understand, you know, looking back on it, why they shared that with me so emphatically and so frequent, you know, during my childhood, because they knew the world that I was going to face. And um, my parents also enforced within myself and, and my sister by example more so than anything else but the fact that we our lives are to be a service to our human family 
and that we're all God's children. So that's the, that's the context in which I grew up. And I, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, actually Highland Park, Michigan. And it was a very, very unique community because I grew up around people from all over the world. My classmates were from Egypt to Norway to Iran to South America to the Philippines. So I didn't know what a foreigner was in my experience, which I thought everybody lived like that. I didn't understand. So I had a very unique and precious uh, experience of humanity during my childhood. So fast forward to, you know, throughout my life, of course, I'm, I'm African American. So I've had experiences of, of racism. But my parents always tell me, you don't let that define you. You don't let that stop you. You use it as fuel. So, but it does impact us because it's toxic and it's harmful and it's intended to be harmful. And during my career, which it really got intense when I was beginning in medical school in particular, and during my residency, that's when I really experienced the brunt of racism in my life and academics, academia, even though there's this illusion of the, the intellect and the enlightenment, it's, it's really yeah. Academia is quite racist, at least that's my experience, and as it's well as that of, of yeah. uh, my, my colleagues and friends. So, you know, in, ter in terms of the my my work experience and my professional experience, I did have those encounters, and I've counseled many people in, in my practice, many of my patients. There was always this notion in the back of my head: What can I do to help people more? because I, this is toxic. So long story short, about three years ago, I had the pleasure, <laughs> I'm joking. I had the experience of uh, a very concerted, continuous and unrelenting racist experience in, in, in my workplace. And the person that I reported to was trying to fire me because once he discovered that the nurses I was trying to get to do their job were, were Caucasian, he took it upon himself to make my life extremely different, difficult and tried to the best of his ability to, to terminate my employment and to make my life as difficult as he could. And he did. And for me, it was very much an experience of why, did, why am I getting treated like that? That's why I kept asking, because I'm doing the right thing. And, and for me, it was my mind, my being was having a hard time processing this, but it was truly a he healing experience for me because it was distressing me so much. One day I had, to, my body said to me, hmm, you're about to get sick. And it snapped me out of this, why me? And why is this happening to me? And I'm not, I shouldn't minimize that. But my process of, I'm a good person, I'm doing the right thing, and I don't understand why I'm being targeted like this, it snapped me out of that to, you have to deal with this in a way that stops your distress because you're on the verge of getting sick. Ding, ding, ding. So my mind goes to, well, excuse me, but you do have super healing, so why don't you use that? In this instance, I had never even considered it. So I took the super healing principles of you know, making a firm commitment to heal, detoxifying, removing emotional toxins, nourishing myself, loving myself more, and evolving this approach, this plan. I used that 
And it changed everything for me. I, I literally went from being in the storm to being in the eye of the storm. And it changed everything. And um, yeah. I'm happy to remember some of those conversations. My that. spiritual practices, that person is no longer in my life. I'm still in my job. He's moved on. And it has totally changed everything for me. So about uh, a year and a half ago, it, can, it occurred to me, duh, take this approach and share it with others. Because even before what's happened this year, what I was discovering, which was of no great surprise, but confirmed what my experience had been, African-Americans and people of Latin, Latin American descent, as they become more educated, experience greater the, a greater impact of racism and, they, and their health is impacted as well as their lifespan. They get sicker, younger, faster, and they die younger. In comparison to others within their ethnic group that are not as economically or financially um, fortunate, which is the counter to what happens in European American or Caucasian Americans uh, experience in terms of rising in social class and education. It's a benefit, a health benefit, but for others it's less. And why is it, why is it the opposite? Racism is more targeted and it's more intense as people, as people progress in, in, in these structures in terms of corporate America, in terms of uh, educational systems, et cetera. And one of the best examples I hate to say is what happened to President Obama in terms of how he was treated as president. And you can look at him and see how much he aged. So there was a study I, I stumbled upon right when I was making this determination that this decision that was conducted by Ohio State and their university. And they're the ones that discovered this disparity and this intensification of, um, of racist experiences among those who are more educated. Also, I um, ran upon a, came upon a very personal experience that I'll share with you. I, I went to Brown and um, Yale, which is an also an Ivy League school, had their first class of African, of, with a significant number of African-Americans was the class of 1970. And I ran across an account from a researcher who, uh, Dr. David Williams, who's a Harvard professor who looks at the impact discrimination has on health indicators. He shared this story about the Yale class of 70, which had about 70 African-American men who were extremely successful. And at their 2010 re um, reunion, which was 40 years after their graduation, they found that their death rate was three times greater than their classmates. Wow. And the question is why? And the, question, the answer is because of the amount of discrimination that they experienced in their work life that had tremendously impacted them. Yeah, so, so that, that, that emotional stress from the- Yes, it's very distressful. Racism for people of color is the leading health risk, period. And we talk in, you know, in, in disparate terms of health disparities and, and implicit bias, but racism itself is the leading contributor to, to, to disease and to premature death period in terms of our daily experiences. And that's been heightened 
recently, you know, with everything that's happened this year, in terms of the death of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others, the level of distress is, is quite severe and significant. Also, but racism just doesn't impact people of color. It impacts everyone because it, in terms of my understanding of it, is a structure, is an invasive consciousness that severs or interrupts severely, it looks like it severs, but it severely interrupts our humanity, be it as the target or be it as the beneficiary um, of it because it takes us out of the truth of our being. So at this point, well, let me back up and share, share another experience that kind of foretold what I was about to do. I was, uh, in 2018, I was on a cruise it was a spiritual cruise of about 45, 50 people. And I was asked to speak on super healing. And as I'm talking, and the group was primarily uh, European American, and I don't say white or black, because I think those terms do something to our brains. So I try to use terms that don't. Um, and, and those terms are really pejorative anyway, they're not really meaningful or whatever. That's a whole nother story. So anyway, during this, while I was speaking, I'll just say it as it happened, spirits started speaking through me. And I said to the participants who were really, really open people that privilege, what, what's called so-called white privilege really isn't a privilege. The only privilege that we truly have is a privilege as Joseph Campbell said to be ourselves and anything. And yes, there are benefits, no question. I'm not arguing that. But the true privilege is to be who we were intended to be. And anything else that's based on something physical is not a privilege. It's an advantage, but it's not a spiritual privilege, which entraps us in these notions that is something to protect and something to maintain. So at this point, um, we're about to launch several programs to deal with healing racism from a spiritual perspective. I just got, did I get cut off? Nope, you're here. Oh, it went blank. Okay, I'm so glad. <laughs> so we, we're going to deal with it from a spiritual perspective, which is really, it's no different from anything else, is to take us back to the truth. Because we know that in terms of these notions of implicit bias, et cetera, this seems so difficult to to rectify as well as systemic racism the truth is that when we're connected to our spirits we're aligned and we are different we respond differently because yeah. bottom line we're all part of the same human family we all come from africa and we've all evolved differently as we as we explored the planet that's the truth so we're really all related and that's a concept that I that I hold at the front forefront of my mind intellectually. But the more I, I grow, the more it becomes a reality from my heart, which is really the truth of who we are. And when we re, when we let go of all that others, those, those the notions that we've been taught about <clears throat> inferiority, superiority, special, extra you know, the gender issues. I mean, this racism is just, and this is how our culture tricks us. Racism is a part of the bigger consciousness, that invasive consciousness that I mentioned of separation. 
it's the same it's the same energy that we see that's destroying nature it's the same energy energy that we see that leads to sexism and gender bias all of and, and classism now classism in many regards predated of racism as we currently experience it, but it's the same energy, it's the same consciousness. I've recently just explored uh, some, some information online about white trash. It's the same, classism is the same thing. And one of my friends who's, who's Irish American says to me, well, the Irish were the first ones, you know, that the, that the British <laughs> used as the, as the guinea pigs before they went out in the world. And that's really true to, to a large extent. There's not much difference. So that's that's what I'm doing. And I'm I'm very hopeful. It's it's a challenge because many of us don't want to face this. It's so painful and it's so difficult. But it's easy when we realize the truth that what's within us, that profound healing capacity, the capacity that allowed my ancestors to survive the bowels of slave ships and prisons. It's something that's within all of us. And we just have to tap into it to allow it to heal us and to reconnect us in the truth of who we are so we can move forward in, in a way that is, is, is both um, healing and uplifting and reconnecting us to that truth. That reminds me of the very first Yoga Sutra. So 1.1 says in humility, embrace yoga and as we said in the last podcast interview with you yoga is not asanas yoga is that union with the divine spirit and so something that you said just a few minutes ago if we are tapping into the union with that divine spirit with humility that's what will erase the barriers that we as people have created Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, yeah. The world is divided. Well, I'll, I'll just say it like this. Our culture is designed to keep us separated. That's how we get manipulated most easiest. You know, that's the easiest thing to do when there's the control and power dynamic. You know, you over there, you over. And so I, I'm, I'm heartened by the notion that people are waking up to, to that dynamic. I've seen and, and which is a part of this this conversation, the notion, the, the recommendation that that we stop looking at ourselves as Democrats and Republicans and look at real issues that we're all dealing with because we've been so well manipulated. It's I mean it's just unbelievable. I mean it's it's like a religion. Politics has become a new religion in terms of the fervor and the zeal. It's like a cult as far as I'm concerned. But all those layers of separation. Even anti-vaxxers, we can't have, we're human beings. Let's start with that. And we have different opinions. So let's talk about that reasonably, you know, because, but as long as we're divided and labeled, labels are very, the objectification of humanity, of life itself is at the core of that invasive consciousness of separation. Mm -hmm. And it's also what we, what we're taught the judgments um, that the systems put in place and it starts, you know, it could be with the church or it can be with the government or it can be the school system. And then uh, unfortunately our own parents, um, 
when I, I, I was raised in El Paso, Texas. So going back and forth back then, back in the sixties was safe. We went over to Juarez all the time. My mother spoke Spanish and we would go over to the market and shop. Well, as a little girl, you were talking about classism. So I wanted to share a, share a story and an awakening that I had. Um, so as a little girl, I would see these beautiful indigenous women. They weren't Hispanic. They were Indians from the interior that would um, be in their, in their um, cultural outfits that were very distinct and very different, right? From the rest of the population. And there was a woman sitting with children all around her nursing a baby and um, she was begging for money. And I wanted to give her money. And my mother said, oh no, Zella, we don't give poor people money. That just breeds more poverty. And so that was, that was what I was taught. And then my husband and I, when we were 19 and 20, we got married. He and I went over to Juarez to buy our gifts for our bridesmaids and our groomsmen. And we see the Indian woman begging. It's probably, you know, the daughter of the one I saw mm. 20 years ago or, or 15 years ago. And um, my husband started to give her money. And I said, oh, it, you know, the voice in your head, the, your mother speaking through you, right? I said, Gary, we don't give money to the poor people. That just breeds more poverty. And he looked at me and he said, she has children and she has needs. And what if she's Jesus in disguise? I felt like, Ooh. I felt like scales had been ripped from my eyes. I felt like, mm. like the knife was taken out of my heart in the sense of this, this, classism that had divided my own being divided me from the humanity that I was seeing yes. that knife got taken out in the good way and my whole world my whole perspective changed and it was mm. a simple act right mm. just a simple acknowledgement oh, that's wow. beautiful that's is, is so profound because what if we ask that question about everyone we meet mm. what if what if this is Jesus. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> Everyone is you know, divine, you know? Yeah. It's that just, is so true. Oh, wow. And that's, for me, recently, I think being in the house has, for the last eight months, has really stopped all my external, you know, the things I received just being in the world energetically. So I've had time to really center myself more with myself. And I've sensed when I go out, I'm like, I love you. I love you. <laughs> that, I you know, it's not a concept anymore. I feel it. Yeah. And it's so beautiful. And, you know, cause normally, and I'll tell the truth about myself. I would go out I'll be out and about and I was like, I love you, but do you love me back? You know, I want to see, you know, what's the interaction? What what energy do I get back? It doesn't matter now. I just I feel so you're free to be true. in this love for humanity that it doesn't matter. Um, and I'm grateful for that because I know that's that's our only way out of this, you know, this this madness. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, it, it's just as we've been talking and, and I've, as I've been experiencing things this year, it's another word comes up for me that is, is bullying, right? It's like 
racism and sexism and all of those other isms are basically a form of bullying. And, and for me, a bully is one who has either received pain and doesn't know how to process it. So they lash out. Exactly. So they're really, it's like they live in, in their own fear and their own pain and they push it out on others because how else do they, it, it's like their own form of survival in a way. And, and that's really talking about changing lenses. You know? Yes, bullies are, yes, they're perpetrators, but they're also victims first. Oh, absolutely. Right? I totally agree with you. It is a form of bullying, cultural bullying, uh, culturally accepted bullying. Absolutely. And you're right. Yeah. Loving hurt people, hurt people. Right. And it's all about creating that separation. Well, so-and-so hurt me, so I'm going to hurt them. And it's like, oh, well, I can't move forward in love. I have to, you know, beat somebody else to get you know, this, this competitiveness creates also a form of bullying, which, uh, <laughs> um, and which creates separation, which creates isolation, which allows us to focus on, not allows us, but it encourages us to focus on what's different so that we also don't have to acknowledge what we may want to work on inside ourselves. I like that. Absolutely. And uh, one more thing I want to address, Dr. Elaine, I taught school for a number of years. I taught fifth grade and, and so language arts and social studies. And when we came to the portion on slavery and civil rights, I went deep into this. Wendy came to my school and we would do cultural dances and, and look at the whole aspect of what society was like in the 1800s. Yes, and your school demographics was? Predominantly African-American. Mm -hmm. uh, and Wendy did the best lessons ever. But um, one thing that I would, um, when my students and I would have frank, honest discussions, um, and I said the same thing, I don't wanna be called white. And I would point to the whiteboard that I used on a daily basis and I said, that's white. I'm this freckled, tannish, pinkish mm -hmm. person. So are we going to call me a tannish, pinkish, freckled, <laughs> age spot person? Or are we going to say I'm Caucasian in my ancestry? My people came from France and Lebanon and all sorts of places. And your people came from Africa. But we're here together in my classroom, in our classroom, to learn and to love one another. And that was that was the goal every day. It, and it worked most days. <laughs> it's so beautiful. That's the truth. You know, if science was really scientific, <laughs> we would have at the front page of every, you know, journal or newspaper story, the truth, the research that showed our relationship, that our connection to all of humanity. I mean, it was t Time Magazine, about 30 years ago, published the research, the story about the that we all emerged from Africa. And it was like, zoom, it's done. You know, let's go back to the race thing. It's all made up. 
Yes, we come from different places, but we're all we're all related. We're all one human family. And that's as I said, that's gonna solve everything overnight, but that understanding helps to dissolve these these impositions that are so toxic and harmful. Mm -hmm. And as I said, once we get back to spirit, as you did with your students, it's just everything. No, because bottom line, we really aren't these bodies in the first place. They're just the vehicles for our journey uh, during this, you know, during this this time we're here on Earth. But it's it's not meaningful. I shouldn't say that. It's not the ultimate form of life. Long before we were here, we were spiritual beings, and uh, that's I think that's the most important thing. And once we got here. We're all related. So that's a double, you know, it's a double sense of connection, physically and spiritually, but the spiritual is the most important. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and classism. So I'm going to, I'm going to share one more thing. I, um, I'm involved with a, a, a homeless shelter for just for women that's here in the Fort Worth area in Texas. And I, I, for one year, I taught yoga, just giving it away because mm -hmm. The, the the stereotype is that yoga is just for rich, white, skinny women, right? Um, so anyway, to promote the, the, the yoga classes, I would go to their um, birthday celebrations. Once a month, they would just celebrate everybody's birthday that was staying at the facility. Mm -hmm. And I got there, um, I, I, I didn't want to get there and eat and take away food. I just wanted to go, you know, share a little bit, um, and, and set the stage for coming to my class. So there was a group of volunteers that, had, that was serving the dinner. So when I got there, they thought I was homeless. They thought I came in to the room to sit down with the other homeless women. And so I realized that, and, but I didn't wanna embarrass this volunteer. So she's trying to get me a plate and she's trying to have me sit down. And, and, it, and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, she thinks I'm homeless. <laughs> And um, then later when I got up and I spoke and said what I was there for, you could see the embarrassment wash over her face. I say that to share that we don't know what homelessness looks like anymore. The majority of the people that are homeless now are women and children. And it's typically because of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. It's also because now of, of the COVID and losing jobs and such as that. And, and when a woman is, and her children are homeless, it impacts a child's educational development. Mm -hmm. And they're delayed for years when they go through that stress and that turmoil. But anyway, that was, it was an eye-opening experience for me um, to be confused as homeless. And it, it didn't bother me. It was, it was funny. It was enlightening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I appreciate, I appreciate how open-minded you are. It's very unique, honestly, and very refreshing to hear and see. Oh, thanks. We all yeah. have stories, right? <laughs> Don't we, though? You know, and there's there's bullying, racism, whatever you want to call it, that occurs at, at multiple levels. Um, you know, whether it's intellectual bullying or ability bullying. I mean, you think of like, yeah, I taught physical education for a few years. And, and so there was all this, oh, well, you know, who's getting picked for the team for this, for that. And you either can, you either are coordinated or you're not. And so, you know, there's like, 
so many different ways that we reject. And that's, I guess, uh, what, what really drew me to the world of, of dancing, particularly traditional dances, is that they weren't designed to highlight, they weren't designed to reject or exclude, they were designed to include, to mm -hmm. create unity in the community. And mm -hmm. this for years, how villages used this tool of music and dance to <coughs> literally bring people together. And, uh, you know, so as I got to be involved with a program called Dancing Classrooms, and we would go into schools and, uh, well, there it's all over the world now, but at that time I was in Dallas and Fort Worth and we would literally go into the fifth grade classes where they're all like, hey, hey you know, kiddies. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, you can sit next to somebody, you can have conversations with somebody, but you can still think they're different from you based on surface. But when you have to physically connect with that person, whether it's, you know, holding hands in a circle dance or in dance frame as a, you know, as a partnership dance, then you literally connect both with that person's energy and, and you, you're like, oh, their skin feels the same as mine. Wow. And then you start moving past those prescribed boundaries of you're a boy, you're a girl, you uh. And you can say, oh my gosh, yeah. person, oh, what a concept. And, and so I guess that's, you know, for me, that's been such an important mission is to be able to bring that, that concept to people that, yeah, we can connect. Absolutely. You made me think of an experience I had in medical school that's really one of the most uh, profound experiences I've had in my life. Long story short, we had a little rinky-dink um, medical student lounge. It was probably about eight feet wide, 10 feet long. It was rinky-dink. <laughs> every day, my girlfriend and I, she was a grad student. We would go watch all my children. And they had like two, two small couches and a couple chairs. And, after we just this is what we did to escape and one of my classmates his name was Zebulon Bauman was from South Carolina he's this big moose of a guy like played football six five six six he would come in and just watch and he wouldn't talk to us for weeks he would just sit there and watch all my children and you know we were just still chit chat and ultimately he started talking to us and uh, we became friends. So, and, 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 and we would exchange our experiences as medical students. This is quite different from mine, but long story short, well, six or seven months into, into our watching all my children every day, he wasn't there one day. And another male student came in who I knew his face, I didn't know his name, and he was extremely intimidating told us to threaten us and told us to get out and we did and uh a week or so later when zev was back there didn't my friend was talking about because i was I, I didn't have anything to talk to say about it but she mentioned it 
And he said, wait a minute, what happened? And so she told him what happened. So he said, what's his name? And I'm like, I don't know. He said, what does he look like? And, and we described the guy and he says, ladies, I promise you, I will put the word out to leave you alone and this will not happen again. Wow. He did. And it didn't. <laughs> and I never, I never forgot that. That was the most, the most sincere act of kindness I experienced in medical school, to be perfectly honest. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've thought about him over the years. It's been decades since we finished medical school. And a couple of times I sat down and wrote him a letter to thank him. And I would write it and I'd track him down and I didn't send it. And I did it twice. And the last time I was like, I'm sending him this letter. The, honestly, the week I made that decision, he died. Oh. And I, I, we got a notice and I'm like, see, I got a notice that he had passed, but I tracked down his wife and I talked to his wife and I explained to her what an imp, you know, a profound impact he had had on my life. Love it. And I sent her the letter. She asked me to, she says, I want my children and my grandchildren to know, children to know what type of man my, my husband was. So oh. I did do that. But that's what, you know, little things that we don't think, I know he didn't think about that. You know, I know he didn't, but it made such a profound impact. And I never forgot that. And, uh, and she said to me, she said, don't feel bad that you didn't get the letter to him. He knows in heaven. And I know he does. I, I, I know that's the truth. But that's what that one simple act of kindness did. It, it, was a prof it made a profound difference. Because he was really pissed. Like, oh, no, this is not going to happen again. <laughs> and that's what, as you said, Wendy, making a connection. We had all my children in common. Who knew? You know, <laughs> yeah. that would make such a difference. But it did. Yeah. And that, that one act, that one simple thing changed the trajectory of multiple lives. Absolutely. It did. It did. It gave me hope because no, I mean, we, I, I was like an invisible person for the most part in medical school. So that, I mean, it, it, it had a tremendous, and as I said, I thought about him often. I mean, Several times throughout every year, I thought about him and what he did, and that simple act of, I'll put the word out, you know, to leave you alone. Yeah, it did. So yeah. because of because of the the hostile environment, the racism, and just the it sounds like the the intense pressure of medical school itself. It sounds like you just tried to stay under the radar and survive, right? Exactly. I, I did. I did. It was, um, I mean, you, you do your, for me, you're absolutely correct, Zella, but it was also my dynamic of not fitting in because of my different way of seeing the world. That ah. was, <laughs> that was, I'm oh, not going to be this kind of doctor, you know, so that was even, a, that was an additional, yeah. I have to fake it till I make it kind of thing. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. And that's what, you know, medical students, face around the world and you know women have a, additional challenges as well as, as students of color is they they have faced so much more pressure i mean it's 
medical school is extremely difficult, as is law school, but I think medical school, school because it's longer and more intense in terms of the hours of study, as well as the hours required to be in the hospital, it's even more intense than, I think it's the most intense, quite honestly, of all of the professional schools. And it's, it's really designed to break your spirit. I hate to say it, it's psychological torture basically, and just add it on with those other elements as you mentioned. And I wonder if- But it makes you stronger. Right, and I wonder if universities in India that practice Ayurvedic medicine, I'm sure there's still sexism and hostile work environments, um, but I'm wondering because if they understand the mind-body connection, I'm wondering if they, the, the medical establishment doesn't want to break down the student. I'm hoping that it's a better system. <laughs> no? Ah. <laughs> you would know. <laughs> there was, um, well, I, well, let me just put it like this. About five years ago, there was a study that was published. It was a meta-analysis, meaning I looked at numerous studies regarding medical student stress, and it was sa the mm -hmm. same globally. Every country, um, has medical students have significant distress, anxiety, burnout, depression, and suicidal thoughts as well as suicide. And I know we did, we had a project a few years ago that actually we're going, going to bring back called Whole Med Student, where we were providing an app to medical students to help them deal with distress and other issues. And the way we did our, our um, campaign, most of our students were from India who downloaded the app. <laughs> so that's why I was like, no, it's not true, unfortunately. But there, you know, there, and India has that caste system. Yeah. I'm sorry, Wendy, what did you say? I was saying another layer of stress. Yes, yes, it's, it's quite intense. So it's different. But it, it's still there, and, and, and it's everywhere. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. But there was not one country that was surveyed that had happy medical students. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I mean, it's a global. Well, then all the, more, all the more so that taking your your prescription for for what you've used for the health of the body, all the more so we need it for the health of society with racism, yeah. sexism, and hostile environments. Um, so your message of love and kindness and seeing one another as divine creatures and healing from within so that we can heal the community at large, your message is needed more than ever. Well, thank you. Yeah, I believe that um, um, ultimately everything is, is a form of spiritual disconnection that exists within our culture. One of my professors, when I was in college, I was taking a writing class. I didn't really want to, but I had to to get in medical school. But that's a whole nother story. Um, and he had us read a book about, it's called um, Cain, and it's about slavery. And it's a, it was a novel. And he said something I never forgot, and I didn't understand the time, he said, Slavery is not a human rights violation, it's a cosmic violation. What does he mean by that? It took me, you know, until recently to fully understand the, the accuracy of what he said. 
these are cosmic violations that separate us because they sever us from the truth of who we are. So I agree wholeheartedly with you. Hmm. By design, yeah. Yes, yes. When someone is aligned in their spiritual nature, you cannot control and manipulate them. Hmm. Only thing you can do is kill their physical body. You know, that's all you can do. I mean, you could try to break them, but chances are it's not going to work. And that's why religion, unfortunately, as it has been structured as state religion, has been used to conquer people. Yeah. Our God is your God, and our God is not your God because our God is going to jack you up with some lies. Hate to say it, but that's, you know, that's the history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the power. And that's why it's been such an effective weapon. Mm -hmm. You know, as you were mentioning about those that are aligned, it, it reminds me of some of the uh, stories or research. I don't know if it's research is the right word, but some of the outcomes of when we looked at like the horrific time in the World War II in the concentration camps and those that not just survived, but those that survived well were those, mm -hmm. I think, who were in line more in line with their their spiritual side of their selves because they could see past yeah this temporary peace and um you know just is like i think of so many you know like there's there's repercussions generation after generation as we talk about um healing the ancestry right and putting that back in order then you know we've got generations of of families and individuals who have been impacted by things like the holocaust like slavery like uh, genocide um and it's like you know where do we begin to heal from those generations of, of hurt and trauma. And that's really where it comes down to is by aligning ourselves with the divine. Absolutely. I have, uh, I have an ongoing argument with a friend of mine about um, ancestral trauma and epigenetics. It is this, um, this uh, new avenue of research that looks at how DNA is altered by stress or modified by stress. Well, we're not our DNA. Let's start with that. So we're looking at something that is a blueprint for our human life, but it's not every all of who we are. So what the um, research is showing in terms of animal studies in particular, but there are some human studies that there are changes caused by trauma, no question, that can lead to changes, you know, physiological and physical changes in animals and certainly changes in humans in terms of our inheritance of the, those traumas. But in the same token, as far as I'm concerned, and more importantly and significantly, is the resilience that allowed us to survive that trauma, that ancestral trauma. 
you know, it goes hand in hand. We can't just look at the trauma. So it was really bad. And now look at the survival. You know, so this, so I, I think that it's, you have to be very careful with those analyses because they're coupled together and we just can't focus on the trauma and not the resilience and survival that while it may not be full fledged, it certainly had to come into play to allow that survival. So I think that's that, that that that's a hot topic. As I said, my friend and I argue about it all the time. And I'm like, and 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 my response is that, as spiritual beings, that's first and foremost. So yes, as we inhabit a physical body, and we do inherit those DNA epigenetic changes, but there's something that spirit is far more significant mm -hmm. in terms of our ancestry as well as our current experiences. At least that's what I believe, and. Right. For me, as I said, when I was in the midst of what I was going through, one day I, my, my soul said to me, excuse me, but this ain't that bad. <laughs> you, know, you need to remember what your ancestors have. So putting it in perspective makes a, made a tremendous difference for me um, in terms of dealing with those situations. And, and one of the things that, that I do whenever I speak, and this is what I did, Wendy, when we were taping, which I had, you know, I'm, we're taping a television program is going to be national and my mind is going, ooh, you're going to mess this up real good. You know, you're too nervous. And no, my soul told me, you stand in love. You stand in absolute love when you do this. And as I prepare for it, and when I stepped onto stage, my spirit told me to say, I come as 10,000. I come with my ancestors. And it made a total difference in terms of my personal experience of that, you know, concern my, my, my mind had about, you know, whatever it was that I totally dismissed, but it put it in, in a context that made it so much easier for me to do what I needed to do. Yeah. And, and I think that's true of that, all of us. Right? And, and as an audience member, I felt that presence from you. As wow. you I mean, you were just glowing and you had a whole audience full of people who were sharing love with you too. Yes, I did. I really did. That made it so much fun. It, really, it was, it was such a beautiful experience because of that. And I felt that too. And you were sitting in the front row with your little bright eyes. <laughs> And you were, and I, when I look at the tape, Wendy is just like a little kid. You were so excited. It was so, it really came through. So you're absolutely right. It was really, um, it was a life-changing moment for me in that sense of, 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 of my public speaking journey because of the spiritual lessons that I learned. It, it, made, it made a tremendous difference. And, and through that, and how much growth you went through that I witnessed you going through because there were some challenges in getting that that production <laughs> out. Um, challenge after yeah. challenge. And yet to watch you <coughs> just love it all and love it and, and see all those challenges through the eyes of love was quite inspiring. Oh, thank you, honey. <laughs> We did have our challenges, that's for sure. And it did all work. You know, it was so funny because in the midst of the challenges, I, I knew the end product was going to be good, but it was really, it, at times it was very difficult.
for for a lot of you know human reasons and that's and, but it was a lesson you're right it all did work itself out i can't tell you how <laughs> it was spirit it really was is there a moment so i was like do i need to keep doing this it was a so lot of divine intervention really <laughs> i totally forgotten about that <laughs> um and, and let me just show this this is a total aside but after, when you came for the party i was almost suicidal and it was because i had eaten some msg and didn't know it oh. and it, i was i couldn't even enjoy the doggone launch party for two months when the launch happened i was miserable because I yeah. msg had caused such severe pain i was but but it all works you know it finally went away but that that was another irony of, of that experience i couldn't even really celebrate it as much as i had planned or wanted to because i was in so much pain so i guess that was another lesson i had to endure or learn you know it's funny i just ran across a picture recently of um of us that from, from that weekend uh you and i and linda uh we're standing out on um a deck on the deck yeah I ran across that picture too recently. <laughs> and it was just beautiful. But um, yeah, you know, there's there's something to this, uh, you know, and a lot of the, the systemic and constellation work that I'm involved in. You know, there's this idea of the extremes or the polarities, right? So it's like, for lack of a better concept those are like bullying on one end which is is like perpetrator type energy and racism perpetrator type energy but then on the other end there's a victim energy and at one point those victims become can become so victimized that it turns into perpetrator type energy like I am a victim and you better hear me because, you know, <laughs> and so I think about this also from this perspective of love and healing is that, you know, it's almost like we have to, or not have to, but if <laughs> we were to acknowledge that both of these tremendous contrasts exist, Mm -hmm. and and that if we reject one do we cling to the other or vice versa and if we reject one do we be actually become that so if we you know the the sayings like oh the fight against racism the fight against drugs that i'm like do we really want to fight that or do we want to like heal that right so when i think about how we use our words um if we reject this concept of bullying or racism, do we become a bully to that? And then do we become that which we are trying to not be? So then how do we, or can we allow ourselves to just embrace that they're both there, acknowledge that they're both there and that we can find our own divine place in the middle and walk in alignment with our spirit. That to me seems 
like a step in the right direction of healing. Well said, Wendy. Very well said. I agree. I, I do. And that's why I use the word target and beneficiary. Oh, here we go again. My internet is acting. Um, um, yeah, our words are very, very potent. So fighting something can, our words are very potent. So fighting something, I agree with you, is only perpetuating it because it's the oppositional. It is, I just, but I do think in terms of the structures of, of you know, these external structures, addressing them on one level is, I guess, part of our, our growth and part of our healing. But it's only until we get to the heart that things will really change because that's where everything comes from. But we do have, to, I do think it's, it's important to acknowledge that these structures exist mm -hmm. and that they do need to be healed and transformed, but that the healing begins within. So I heard someone say something recently about you can't, we've had laws for civil rights, blah, 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 for over 50 years and not much has changed in some regards because you can't legislate a change of heart. And I think that's very true. Oh, that's powerful. You cannot legislate a change of heart. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And stepping, possibly stepping on toes. And that's why it's like, as if we depend on government to fix our problems, we're never going to get there. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I agree. <laughs> I do agree. Government serves a purpose, and that's a whole nother discussion, but it's, these are human choices. They always were. And yeah. yes, groups have worked together for a variety of purposes. So that's where the real, who is it? Margaret Mead said, the world is always changed by a small group of people. And that's the truth. Somebody yeah. says, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't like this. And that's, that begins the change. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, this has been uh, just such a fun conversation and, and a heartfelt one too. Very poignant. So as we transition into moments with our higher self, let's recap. What could we, what can we do individually to help heal we can't, you know, world peace, healing racism, <laughs> the big pictures, but what can we do within ourselves? Well, for me, as, as I, I think I said earlier, it's, I think for me, the ultimate is experiencing, being in the presence of love that is the, at the core of my being as I go into the world or as even when I'm at home, but just to, to behold others in love. Um, that, may, that might sound simplistic and, and not meaningful, but I do think it, that it is because that's where change begins when people feel seen, recognized, heard and accepted as they are. Yeah. Yes, there needs to be other things. 
<laughs> to happen to address the the imbalances and the you know our history as as a human family but i that's where i believe it begins and that's where i've seen the most change in my life uh in terms of how i engage with others yeah well thank you dr elaine for visiting with us and talking about a difficult subject that impacts all of us and giving us a new perspective as you took us down memory lane of, of your experiences, yes. past, present, and future. Where are we as a people? It, it starts here. You're right, individually. <coughs> so thank you so much for spending this time with us. We really, really appreciate it. We're very grateful and your message needs to be heard. We can heal, we can heal the physical body and we also need to work on healing the emotional temperament that resides in each of us. Well, thank you ladies, it's such a joy. I felt so accepted and that's a beautiful thing to feel such warmth and in a circle of love. Even though we're far apart, I really felt it and I feel your energy. It's such a pleasure to have met you today and I hope we can stay in touch. Absolutely. And, uh, keep, keep up the good work, ladies. This is really beautiful. And I hope more people, I hope far and wide globally, your, your messages are, are shared and heard. This is very beautiful. Yeah, will you come back and join us again? Anytime. Hope so, yes. Thank you so much, Dr. Elaine and Will. My pleasure. All right, take care. Bye, thank you for joining us in the tent. We hope you've been uplifted by this episode. Please help us uplift others by sharing, subscribing, and reviewing our show. Join in on the conversation by adding your insights and transformations in the comments section. See you next time.